Hello and welcome to the Lakeshore Records podcast, On Cue With. I'm your host, Alon Leviton, and I had the great pleasure of speaking with the immensely talented composer Isabel Waller-Bridge, whose music you've heard on Roar, Fleabag, Black Mirror, Emma, and more. In our wide-ranging conversation, we discussed Isabel's formative years and family radio plays, the resonance of Greek tragedy and empathy, the pros and cons of playing trombone at the pearly gates, the unifying music of Florence and the Machine, unlearning classical music, working with Brian Eno's Earth Percent Charity, proper attire for working with synths, composition as a form of language and catharsis, Isabel's deeply personal relationship with the piano, the brilliance of Wes Anderson, how to lean into genres, Rachmaninoff's harmonies, the mechanics of good melody, and so much more. Roar is out now worldwide via Lakeshore Records. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Isabel Waller-Bridge as much as I did. Hello, Isabel. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, congratulations on everything, the success of the show. Uh, you've been just on fire recently. It seems like you just keep putting out amazing music. And I'm very excited to, to talk to you. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Um, first off, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm okay. I just... Um... I've actually, I do feel good because I've just delivered a score and it's that amazing kind of that we're, we're just in the dub. So it's like, so the music editor's doing what they need to do. Um, I'm just kind of, you know, in the, in sort of like, I say recovering, I don't really mean recovering in a kind of, you know, it's like when you've been in it for however many months, it's a, it's a nice feeling to kind of step back a little bit from it. Do you, do you have any sort of ritual of like post send off? Like I've handed off my baby. Now <laughs> go do X, Y, Z. I think I kind of tend to, once I've handed, like, you know, delivered something, I kind of then I stick my head above the, you know, parapet or whatever and just check that everyone's still there, you know, <laughs> my family, <laughs> my friends, everyone's still sort of around and then trying to kind of, I mean, it was nice actually this weekend I did manage to kind of I tend to kind of like want to see sort of people kind of after about four days of sleeping and just getting the house back together (laughs) then I'll I'll try and see people so yeah I feel rejuvenated. Nice Um, can you give us a little bit about your background where you grew up and what got music into you? Yeah I um I've lived in London forever I was born here um and um yeah I just I think I first started playing the piano when I was four I think I was just sort of there are photographs of me just being put in front of like sitting on someone's knee just like making noise on the keys and I'm really um like for even earlier than that and then um and then yeah when I went to, like about four years old when I first started going to kind of school I just sort of started messing around properly and it was it's just the strangest thing because it has always just been music in that way and then when I was growing up I um my it was really great actually because I was sort of thinking about other instruments to learn and my grandmother at the time when I was like pretty young like I don't know I must have been six or seven thinking about other instruments and thinking about the violin and I also played the cello but I started learning that a bit later. And she she said to me, she was like, I think you should learn um, a brass instrument. 
I think you should learn the trombone. And I was like, that's an unusual <laughs> you know, suggestion. But she, but it was such good advice because she said, um, you know, there are a lot of violinists and there are a lot of cellists, but there aren't that many. I mean, I don't know if this is true, if there are less kind of trombone players, but she said, you at school, definitely. I was the only one. And she said, so you'll probably always get a place in the orchestra, no matter if you're good or bad, you'll probably be able to play in the orchestra, which would give, you know, you get that experience. So, so I started learning the trombone. That was great. Piano, of course, like forever has been my first instrument. And, and then I just grew up in a really creative household. We were just always, you know, making, making sort of bits of performances that we would then show to kind of our parents and their friends and you know even like radio plays I was doing you know with, with my siblings from really early on and with neighbours kids you know like friends and that we'd just sort of be playing out in the streets and collecting like bits of like I don't know just sort of pebbles or sticks and anything that we could use as sort of foley I mean so it really was from early sort of doors that I was kind of really interested in sound and and certainly music and, and also kind of theatre, I suppose, in that way. It's like storytelling. And um, and then music, then I went to school, uh, secondary school on a music scholarship, which was great because it meant that I could just spend my whole time doing it, um, which is all I wanted to do. <laughs> and, um, and then I went and studied composition with George Benjamin at, um, where I did my master's with him. I went to Edinburgh first and did my undergrad studying composition with um, Nigel Osborne. And then, yeah, went and studied with George Benjamin and then suddenly, and then started doing it. So it, but it was always at the concert hall and I was writing all this kind of, um, you know, atonal music really at the beginning. And, and then actually it was when I left uni, I joined a band and that was probably one of the best things that I think I ever did that ever kind of happened. That really changed the way I wrote and changed the way I um, kind of played music and yeah it was that was really important. Can you maybe elaborate on how playing in a band specifically affected your approach to composition? I think it affected like first of all it really affected the way I heard music I think because I've been so um, glued to the dots um you know when when I was playing music so I was a really advanced pianist by that stage and was like playing all the kind of repertoire really seriously um and was at the Royal Academy and and I I could learn stuff from memory but I really needed the dots to actually put it into my brain and that I think from an like when you're writing so basically so then when I joined the band I first of all when we started learning the songs I was kind of there with my pencil and my manuscript paper like writing down the course and really like the only one doing that and realized like quite quickly that was really time consuming unless there were kind of motifs that I could do a little crib sheet or whatever but not like fully score out the song you know that's like mm-hmm. madness so quickly had to kind of reprogram my brain to um, to be able to hear it differently, I guess, to then kind of be able to learn it. And then that 
just made me looser I think in a really good way it just made me unlearn all the classical things that perhaps um you know I I was quite self-conscious about some harmonies you know everything I would overcomplicate things a lot I think in my writing which is can be appropriate for kind of atonal music but when I was you know really wanting to explore other kinds of music um you know just writing like you know an a minor triad was you know it was like not considered that interesting necessarily but then playing in a band and I realized oh all this great music and it's not it's only a few chords Mm -hmm. um and a good top line and and some interesting rhythm it's it just really really changed the way I kind of listened I think to music and that it really it I think without that experience I think it would have been a longer journey for me to kind of um to unlearn some of the classical things, which I am really glad that I have, because in terms of orchestration and um, and that kind of knowing my way around is really valuable. But sometimes a simpler approach is is useful. Do you currently have a sort of this might sound lofty, but you'll get what I mean? Artistic mission statement or ethos. Is there something that you have in mind? This is what I'm here to do with utilizing music. Sort of yes and no. <laughs> um, I music. I started writing music just because. I mean, it's just intensely personal. You know, it's like I. I really. Um, it gives me a lot. It gives me a lot of language that I don't have in other ways um and it it sort of it it makes me very happy to write music you know and that is like I really mean it, that's a big deal mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah, of course really just really love it um and so that makes me feel healthy but as I've kind of um you know had like it's, you know, the privilege of working with other people, I've realised what, you know, how healthy it can be sort of really broadly. And I don't think I have a mission to kind of, you know, I don't know, I don't, I definitely don't have a political mission with music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's interesting is when artists come together and then that voice can be loud. So whether it's for a campaign, I recently just did a... Um, an environmental it was part of an environmental campaign um that Brian Eno founded called Earth Percent and that over 100 artists came together and they just donated music and then you can download the music and all those proceeds go to the charity and that I feel is a good use of you know that I like that being part of something like that um I think collective collective um kind of activities in that way you know when everyone sort of can come together and try and help something I think think the togetherness is something that I really respond to maybe because um writing is I mean I literally have to do it alone (laughs) you know unless um and sometimes can write with someone else and that can be lovely but I do think um I think sharing 
being able to kind of share the ideas and share the um I don't know share the share the skills or share I'm not sure what it is but well to me it sounds like you're talking about sharing the experience yeah that, that makes a lot of sense in terms of what you said earlier with your upbringing you know with your family it was it was a shared experience the togetherness of creation um so it, it makes a lot of sense that as an artist you would enjoy that side of it outside the as you said the confines of you know the lonely cave <laughs> yeah yeah no definitely and it's it's funny actually when I do get together with musicians whatever it is like whether it's the you know at the end of a scoring you know when you get together with the with the band or with the orchestra or, or you're just your team you know orchestrators whatever I get I'm so um refreshed by that but like to a sort of sometimes almost to like a manic level, you know, because like absorbing, it's also because you're with the people that really know what you've been through, you know, that's kind of few months of that. That is nice. But the shared experience of making music is also, I think, um, live music is so amazing. I went to um, a really wonderful Florence and the Machine gig uh, about two weeks ago. And I think it was the first time that I'd, I just haven't been to a, a gig like that. I don't think in, in, I mean, so long. Mm-hmm. It was this incredible thing because the, the Florence fans, I think are so diverse mm-hmm. and they're so kind of alternative. It was wonderful. Like looking across the room and you couldn't, there, there was like every, different kind of person you could you know it was so varied it was wonderful and but everyone connecting with what she was mm-hmm. you know the, with the sound that she was making and with the, her lyrics and um and you could see people just I mean my eyes were just welling up because it it really was a kind of incredible feeling of um connecting with people and I think that is that is my Maybe that's my mission. Apart from kind of bringing stories to people, I think connecting. I, also, you've spoken, um, I've heard you in, in previous interviews um, touch upon catharsis mm. and your relationship with the piano specifically. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that? You, you mentioned um, your one of your, I believe one of your earlier piano teachers would sort of um, have this exercise that you would begin your lessons with. Can you speak upon that? Yes, definitely. This was really profound, um, actually. It was um, Mrs. Lee, Mm -hmm. Elena Lee. And um, I think it was, so I was at school, I started learning with her when I was probably about 12. Mm all the way through to maybe yeah I was about 11 12 all the way through to 18 um and at the beginning of every lesson she used to make me just sit down in front of the piano sit on the stool place my hands on the keys and then lower my head and put my head on the keys and then just run my hands up and down the keys for a few minutes sometimes five depending on my kind of depending on the mood that I brought into the room. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If I was agitated, it would be for longer. 
if I was feeling a bit, you know, she, but that was, that, that really built that relationship that I, I did already have with the piano, but I didn't have, it wasn't a kind of, it wasn't as physical, I suppose, you know, actually being with the instrument, I suppose, like if you learn the cello, you're holding it the whole time, you know, you're really embracing it. The same with other more portable instruments, I think, but the piano, partly it's, it's so, it doesn't, it, you know, you can't move it around with you as you're, and so to, to sort of have that, have that sort of moment at the beginning before I even played anything, and I still do it, you know, it's, um, it's just a moment of kind of, it's like meditating, I guess. I I absolutely adore this I just really do I had I studied piano as well and I had a fantastic teacher Miss Meacham was her name Uh, she was she was different what you're describing what I love about it is it seems like it would immediately and I'll start doing this um, instill a sense of presence Mm -hmm. uh, and authenticity because if you're bringing your it's almost like the piano is a proxy for you. And it's just, there's a, there's a moment that you are dedicating to what you're actually feeling in yourself. And it's going to bring that out. And then you can then uh, sort of through your fingers manifest that energy through whatever you're going to play. Yeah. Um, my piano teacher was very, you know, by the book and rigid. So maybe I needed a little bit more of that. It could have, could have helped me a bit, but she used to, um, you know, she used to have her pencil ready at any given <laughs> moment for for a mark, and so I was always a bit, uh, a little bit on edge. Now that I think that was was good for me because it would keep me focused. But that's just one element of sort of the emotional uh, space that that a person can have is to you know stay in the zone, let's say, and, and concentrate. Yeah. But I love that this idea that you are given the liberty straight away to just feel. Yeah, that's right. I was actually just thinking as you were saying that because I was I was thinking that your technique is probably really good. <laughs> was, was maybe at I'm one saying. point. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I want to talk. I speaking of technique, I wanted to talk to you about. Um, this is nerdy, but in in your in uh, the woman who sat on a shelf which I'd love to talk about beyond this point. I notice your right hand, the, the piano octaves are so clean and crisp and vibrant. I'm curious if you had, if someone ever actually addressed that specifically with you. No, never. You're definitely the first. In fact, I haven't spoken to anyone about this score yet or that, you know, definitely. But so crisp, crisp octaves. Yeah, they just really, it's like, it's like, I really want to emulate exactly what you're doing in your right hand. amazing standalone um classical piece more or less right would you say that's accurate totally totally yeah um and you know the series itself um 
have to say a bit about it. I love the celebration of weirdness. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I read it as sort of um, a modern uh, anthology of feminist fairy tales. Yeah. Would, would you say that's yeah. accurate? Yeah, fables, exactly. Fairy tales, completely. And I, I just love the whole sort of uh, subversion of expectations at every court. You just have no idea what you're getting into. Yeah. Episode to episode or scene to scene. And I wanted to ask you, given that it's a bit odd, um, for lack of a better word, um, do you, in terms of your music, have to play it straight at times, or do you have to be conscious of that? And 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 to to back up even further, what were the original conversations during the genesis of Roar about the music and how it should be? It was actually, it was so interesting, the kind of journey, for me, the journey that we went on, because I read the scripts and like was instantly obsessed as well. <laughs> like, this is amazing. I read the duck uh, episode first and I was like, I've never read anything like this. This is so great. And then carried on reading. And it was very interesting because we knew that, because obviously they're not very long, Mm -hmm. So that was kind of, that was, that's a good thing and also a challenging thing because you kind of musically, also I'll talk a bit about because there's obviously like completely different genres. It was very, I found it um, challenging to, to you know, you, d you don't want to be shallow ever, you know, but if you've only got 30 minutes to do, you have to get into it quite quickly and you have to sort of make your intentions clear. You can't, there's no like subtle, <laughs> like nuanced mm -hmm. revealing of, it was like, this is what we, um, this is this is what it is. You know, the begin we have to declare it at the beginning of every episode, basically. And that's what we talked a lot about, um, whether, the music should lean into each genre and support the genre or whether there should be, uh, whether it, it should kind of back off a bit from the genre. That was, these were like really, really, really early conversations and also, and whether we should have sort of um, some, you know, really big kind of overarching theme that just goes through the episodes, which we, we sort of, I mean, in the scores for each episode, which we sort of did in the end. Um, but the genre question was was the most sort of interesting because creatively Liz and Carly were talking to me about it wasn't just the score it was the whole show like how are we is it you know are we leaning into each one being very very separate or should they somehow feel um connected in a different way and eventually we decided to lean into the genres so that there would be no doubt that this one is a horror this one is a western um this is a romantic comedy mm -hmm. etc because to support because the brevity of the episodes just to support the context of them to the maximum really um so it's like with the with the um the women on a shelf for instance yeah. the classical piano it it was clear I suppose that it should be classical for some reason I don't know sometimes it's clear sometimes it's really not clear there were a couple of episodes that I was really like I'm not sure I do know how to approach this 
Um, there's a freedom in knowing that they were also different as well, because, but it, you know, it's hard. That was hard. Um, Cause your identity as a composer is something. And, you know, that's, that was eight episodes of very, very varied uh, genre work um, with different directors. So that was challenging. But also quite liberating because I could the I could really lean into the person in me that had kind of been had wanted to write you know write a bit of a western and that and or and then lean into the horror, which is a genre that I love, mm-hmm. and and also then write a bit of a synth score. But because it was all in such a short space of time, um, I I did have to kind of step back. And we were very you know it was very fast. It was like a week per episode. Wow. I mean, pretty much. So yeah, it was, it was, um, I had to have quite a clear plan going into each episode, what it was going to be and leaning into the genres really helped that. It was, that was brilliant because there was never any doubt of, um, you know, of, of what should happen, I suppose. And then I did have the theme, although the main titles came much later, as in I'd written that into one of the episodes as part of the score. And I'd done a version of the main titles. And then Liz and Carly, we sort of tried this one idea from one of the episodes on the main titles. And then it just worked really well. And that was really kind of right at the end of the process. But I don't think that's that unusual. You know, sometimes you to find the main theme, you have to write the score, like a writing a novel, I guess. Sure. Now, was were your initial conversations about when when you say that you had discussed possibly having one overarching sound versus you know disparate genres? Was there any trial by error? Was there? Did you try doing something that might be overarching, or was it all just and then like you know what this isn't working, or was it all just conversation? Most of it was conversation. I did some sketches really early on that were just responses to the scripts. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were, that was pretty interesting what came out actually. They, they were maybe a little bit less genre based. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think I was responding more to, I don't know, just, you know, just a response, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're kind of um, maybe a bit more esoteric sometimes. But that was interesting because then just sort of playing around with putting those over the assemblies, it kind of, they felt a bit, to me anyway, they felt like they didn't, they weren't connecting. It, it wasn't, you know, you weren't getting that like instant clarity of where you are and, and how the music kind of, in the end supported the each the I keep saying genre but you know of each episode mm-hmm. that we realized kind of fairly early on that that was what we needed to do um yeah I find I I personally I just always find it very interesting I'm convinced that there's just an ocean worth of discarded sort yeah. of initial guttural reactions to scripts and or pilots whatever they may be that's actually brilliant it just is not quite right for picture totally 
And I always, I'm like, I want to mine that. I want to mine that. It's a mission of mine. I have started to try and do it of like, get all the fault, like those kind of unmarked folders in in the, in each, like in the film or whatever the project um, folder is. It's normally called like sketches. And then it's called like sketch one, a sketch two, and then like sketch three, capital letters like this one. (laughs) It gets into, but to actually order those because they are good. You know, some of them are quite interesting and it doesn't matter that they, you know, they don't, but it's that they don't kind of, work for the picture for this you know or for the aesthetic of the show yeah it is what it is a thing i'd love to hear like what other composers like what their kind of discarded bits of music are and whether or not they they sort of find their resurfacing Mm. in other iterations down the road yeah whether consciously or not um so so i did want to ask you more specifically about uh the woman who sat on the shelf um, because I just, I really love that piece and it's just such a breath of fresh air. Were there specific classical composers or specific pieces? Cause I can't figure it out. I can't, I'm not <laughs> sure. It doesn't sound like anybody else, but it certainly sounds classical. It's, it's in, it's in the lane. So I'm curious how that came about. It's, it reads to me or it, it, to my ear, it's one of those songs that, you know, you were, in the moonlight, underneath a willow tree and a grand piano, and it just came That's out. Exactly how it happened. know when an idea has happened a good idea has happened because then you kind of you come out of what's been a, you've been in a trance for like four hours or something and then you sort of come out of it and realize that you have this work um and that I do remember sitting down and just the the pieces of music that I play are the composers of Ratmanov and Chopin and Liszt like those are the like the big hitters for me that's my gang like I really you know I really love hanging out with them and and I've always played them and so I think they're like in my fingers really um so when I'm improvising I can kind of feel my way you know it always it's those big um you know lots like with Chopin lots of kind of octave jumps and to say and with Rachmaninoff a kind of left hand that is is doing kind of sort of not scales but you know is kind of moving 
around the harmonies. Um, yeah, and then, and I think, I think when I listen back to that piece, I do think Rachmaninoff maybe, it's a mix. I think it's a real mix between Chopin and Rachmaninoff. Um, and it's a sort of, it's in my head, I was always thinking, I was, I think I called it this sonata, the shelf sonata or something. And um, I kind of want to finish it because it's like, I want to write the other movements of it because it's really rare that, um, I don't think I've ever written anything like that for a score before, ever. And it was nice to do. Uh, to me, it's a, it's a crown jewel in my, in my opinion. I, I love it. I really love it. And I, you know, I wanted to ask you, not just in this, in this piece, but this piece in particular does have such a lovely melody. Um, what is your approach to melody? Are there any tips you can offer um, in terms of what makes a good melody beyond, I like it, um, you know, in terms of, or how your, your approach, uh, is there, do you, or even how you talk about it, is it shape, is it contour, is it phrasing, is it, how do you approach melody? It's, a, it's that, it's funny, actually, because I've been thinking about this a bit with other stuff, because melody, there's like two different, like, melodic worlds that I kind of write, the two ways of writing. One of them is by singing something, and I'm not a singer, A, and also I have quite a low voice. So whenever I'm like demoing anything like song wise, I always have to send it to the singer. And I'm like, you have to put it up by like, <laughs> like a lot. Uh, so I'm, so in that way, when I'm singing stuff, I feel quite restricted because I only have a certain range. And because I'm not a singer, it's like, I tend to have to, I'll sketch something and then with my like other singing voice, which is my, I guess my like hands and brain, um, I'll develop it. But I don't really know, I think it's just taste. I don't even know if there's like uh, anything that, I don't think it's a, I don't think I, I definitely, you know, I can listen to other music, but I'm thinking really mainly songs and, things when I notice that oh this interval does a certain thing or you know if singing on the same note you know the repeated like a repeated note has a, an effect but I suppose even just saying that out loud I know that I apply that I suppose to to the music as in to the instrumental stuff because It's so, it's, it's sometimes melodically, if I know that I'm, if I'm writing something, it's going to sound so maybe either really strange or like really obvious, you never really know. <laughs> so, but if, if it's a feeling, then it, it's usually quite a physical, it's like a physical thing with, with a melody maybe this is I'm just saying this because this is how I may maybe this is how it sort of feels to me I think so if if there's something that feels quite um 
like restrained and you know it's it's somebody's not quite able to get out the words or uh you know it probably it, the melody probably will won't move around that much it will probably only be a few number of notes and they'll be very close to each other on the keyboard and um probably in quite a kind of um not a soaring range if that's what the music is meant to be doing if the music is meant to be if like if the person that you see is being very held back but actually the music is telling you that they're what they want to express then I'd do something with open more open intervals I think and move around a bit more Um, a point of clarity are you speaking about to picture or or generally probably generally actually in that case I was talking about to picture because, because of just story but I wouldn't not necessarily you don't even I mean that can be from the script mm-hmm. well or I should say scoring because scoring, yeah, scoring. because the way that you're describing it is sort of a personification of the music it wants to be or of the energy yeah. it wants to be but you know um se- September yeah September um, is also has a beautiful melody and that's that's just something that comes out of you right it doesn't have a there's there's not a mark that you're trying to hit in terms of score right so it with with an i am i assume that maybe that's i don't know an authentic representation of you in that moment maybe that's the mark you're trying to hit in terms of reality that makes sense it's funny it's funny it's so I it's so interesting talking about it because I just never I suppose think about it sometimes I think about it obviously when you're like this melody isn't really working like what do I need to do I need to kind of make it better (laughs) um and sometimes they just fall it's something happens and it just falls it falls in and um it feels true and yeah it's funny with melody because I'm very conscious sometimes of like not being too melodic mm-hmm. because that also isn't, you know, there's like a time and a place. It's like either you want the melody at the party or you really want like half the melody. Sure. <laughs> um, but I think, I think sometimes, yeah. And I, even I'm like the melody police. I think sometimes with my own stuff is that I really, and even listening to things, there's, it really depends on the work there, doesn't it? What can support, like, when you look at, when you listen to sort of any of Morricone, those films, that period, it was all about, you know, a big tune. But then also when I think of, you know, Taxi Driver, you know, Bernard Herrmann and all of those, you know, his scores, it's the same thing. So actually, I think the music that I've always been drawn to is kind of very melodic. But sometimes I do like, finding the melody in the texture of a drone you know that is um and and it can be quite sometimes I find right writing at the piano because it's so specific it's so you can't like bend a piano note you know it's really hard to find the kind of in between unless you're using a prepared piano and you can get like the you know you can start playing with kind of harmonics and things like that do you have specific shows or movies 
that you feel really influenced you, whether as a musician and scoring or just as an artist, and and also artists, um, as in in terms of uh, painters or other mediums. Oh yeah, um, it's funny because all my influences, I think, have come from most of them anyway. I mean, obviously there are the composers like Morricone and Bernard Herrmann and Prokofiev and you know, Ratmanov, um, they are huge in terms of my ex- early experiences of music and finding music really, um, classical music mainly, classical and film music when I was younger. It makes a lot of sense to me because so I was about six or seven and I went to the National Theatre. I was taken by my parents or my grandmother or someone I can't even really remember it to see Wind in the Willows Mm. three really key productions this was the first one and I never forget it it was like I was I had it was I I could literally draw the set design for you I could tell you where Badger was like what his what happened when the revolve turned and like they and and my at like six years old seeing that that was honestly that was so I saw that and then I saw Patrick Marber's Closer also at the National and I saw that when I was about 16 and that's got quite a lot of that's quite I don't know do you know did you see the film they made yes yeah Yeah. so that when I was a kind of teenager it was really intense seeing that because there are a lot of formative things you know and again my eyes were out on stalks it was amazing production the music was incredible um and there was another show that I saw when I was, a, a, again, a bit older that really um, struck me, which was that there's a theatre company called Complicite and they did a show called Disappearing, A Disappearing Number and Nitin Sawney had done the music mm. and it was incredible. Again, it was like these things really changed my life seeing these shows um, from like six to, I think I must have seen A Disappearing Number when I was maybe... 20 early 20s um and then oh yeah the other dogville when i saw that have you seen that the, I, that, I haven't seen it i know of it but i haven't seen it that changed my life as well that was you know that was incredible um the whole i'd never seen a film like it i don't even really remember i remember actually going through a phase of watching a lot of films that didn't have a lot of music in them mm-hmm. Which I really liked. Um, and I do, I like the less is more kind of approach. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, yeah, and then painters. Like, I know that um, for me, how I kind of, well, I mean, part of how I got into writing film scores was because I was, I, had like set up this scheme with an orchestra. This is when I was doing my postgrad. So I was, it was like a part-time job thing, but I got in touch with the National Gallery and um, wanted to basically get right music in response to the paintings. Um, so for me and a bunch of other like younger composers who, you know, we weren't, we weren't, doing much essentially we were just studying we weren't hearing our music so I was like okay let's just get you know would this orchestra be interested and they were and we did and 
that was also when I realized that like working with images, whether it's moving or whatever it is, just the response, I suppose, is the thing that um, that kind of triggers me in an amazing way because, and that is still the case. So Francis Bacon had a like profound effect on me mm. um, and still does and Rothko and I know I'm, you know, by no means alone. I know it's like such an, you know, there've been composers who, you know, people respond to art the whole time, but it was, it was only kind of when I was doing my, it was only when I sort of put all the pieces together and realized, oh, I, you know, responding to images is really important. And also I really like being in a world. Um, mm -hmm. So kind of in the theater or in a film, and sort of bringing an audience with you. Yeah, because you do synth work as well. Yeah. Um, do you, does it feel like you're putting on a different hat to use summons different oh, yeah. influences? Because you're not, you know, you've downloaded so much classical into your body and, and you've spoken about, I don't know if I'm butchering what you said, something to the degree of unlearning that. Totally. So, what are the mechanics of unlearning? I mean, do you do you literally have a different uh, approach entirely when you're using synths? Yeah, I think it. I think it is. I've never consciously like looked at what the difference is. I suppose, but I think I probably i I think I actually even like stand differently, like sit differently. I think it's. I think again, it's like physical because. I think when I'm, I think when I'm playing synths, it depends. If I'm, if I'm playing soft synths at the keyboard, it sort of feels it's still in the box or whatever. That's why, like, if I'm actually playing a physical instrument, um, the thing that I really like about synths as well is that there's again, like, working with strings. There's so much flexibility and and variation that you can get with that instrument you can really kind of pull it around mm -hmm. and it will offer creative things to you like mm -hmm. even you know thing things that you just don't get in a classical way sometimes I think just because of the nature of the engineering of the instrument mm -hmm. but I do know sometimes like and I know this is going to sound I don't know. Sometimes I don't like saying this because I think it sounds like something else or something. I don't know. But I do find like if I'm doing more like synth music or something, I feel maybe I I kind of start dressing a bit differently. I'd start, you know, but if it's like classical, I start maybe dressing like a classical musician or something. Not that that's a thing. I think that's wise. I, I I I definitely know I do that. I absolutely you? okay good. Not consciously, good. but as you said, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. I mean yeah. that's like, yeah. I I I for me personally, since I mean this is this is a bit of a hard line, but to a degree, when I'm thinking about sort of natural instant instruments, mm. there's still, you know, a piano is still sort of a version of a machine but mm. to me, there's something very organic about it still that could just be my own personal I don't know um but when I think about synths I think of 
all the noise of the world that, you know, uh, when a freeway or the cars or, you know, the, the, the real mechanics, man-made mechanics um, that we sort of, our ears have become accustomed to, but I think have an effect on us. And so I think of chemicals and, and, and uh, I don't know, wheels turning and cogs. Yeah. And there's something more hard, hard mm. for me, hardcore. Um, even if it's a dreamscape, yeah. Um, it's and it's something very ethereal. It's something feels conjured in a way differently from if I'm playing a piano. It just feels completely and and when I when you marry them, there's something that can be very interesting that happens. But yes, I I would definitely echo what you said about different attire because. Yeah, because it does. No, I really agree with that about synths. Um, and it is, you can build worlds out of synths that you just can't find. I don't want to say can't actually, because like there are actually artists who are doing really interesting stuff with like, you know, and people have talked before if you approach writing for synths in, in the way that you approach writing for an orchestra or vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there are some really interesting results that. Come up, but I know that like often if I'm stuck, I'll like go to a synth and just start like messing around because you can and you don't. It's like unpredictable. It's so exciting because then and just like hit record again and start. And yeah, there could be sounds that you've just literally you've just like not heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is quite unusual to be kind of doing it round the clock and to find a sound that you've not. That you don't recognize um that that is the amazing thing about since yeah um, i also personally become and maybe this is a flaw but um i i personally become more conscious of rhythm yeah or more actively conscious of rhythm i should say um and how you can play with it because you can mechanize it yeah so you can really very quickly create a beat with such little effort yeah create a mood that's instant access yeah and, um and you can change the tempo and then immediately manipulate the mood um so I, I find that fascinating yeah me too I totally there is something really gratifying about being able to being able to like explore so like so quickly through things you know as you know to be able to kind of like change something and you get a really different sound or a really different rhythm straight away that can then like ping you off into some good idea like yeah I do think that that is a really exciting since are great and if I like on part on my desk I have some synths some um just like little synths on my right and then here I have like just a basic bunch of pedals like six or seven pedals and um most of what I do even like even like the acoustic stuff I mean <laughs> goes through the pedals because it helps essentially it just unlocks mm-hmm. and it might not end up in the finished thing but it might show you a 
note or a harmonic or a rhythm you know that is interesting then if you then take that rhythm and then stick it on two cellos that are playing together I don't know you know it's like can be like oh that's interesting yeah um this is a bit of a meta question that I have for you but there's a in many of the projects that you've done there's a sort of tragic tragic comedy tragic comedic I don't know if that's a word element how do you if that's a genre, let's call that a genre, does it carry with it a sound? Because to me, this is where it gets meta. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the healthy people that I know sort of look at life as a tragic comedy, you know? Yeah. So I'm wondering if that sound is sort of an accurate reflection of life to a degree. Yeah, I'm definitely drawn to those stories. I'm really um, obsessed with the Greeks and Greek tragedy mm. and um, just love the stories so much and find the kind of epicness of them so kind of inspiring and enthralling. And um, and so I I kind of have this thing sometimes with maybe it's this sort of motto that I used to sometimes it is it was go Greek or go home and I feel like with tragic comedy there's a lot go Greek or go home that goes on because it's so heightened do you think life is a comedy or do you there are people that think life's a comedy I definitely think probably it's a tragedy (laughs) I think it all comes down to empathy at the end of the day because I suddenly started thinking about two things which is when I was reading about um, the succession writers. I was actually, because I love that show, love Chris Patel's score. Um, And I was listening to Jesse Armstrong talk about it. And there's something about writers when they, they can write, it's a, a writer that can write tragedy really well almost always certainly without doubt we'll be able to write comedy because there is there is a kind of comedy in in living I suppose in life um yeah there's the phrase I I'm gonna butcher it isn't there a a common phrase something like comedy is tragedy plus timing right (laughs) yeah yeah that. yeah it is Mm. but it's funny because it's so specific because it's like there's com there's comedy and there's comedy and there's comedy and there's comedy and um I think my sense of humor it is rooted in in it's got to have the it's got to have the tragedy for me um and then then it has then the comedy provides the levity if you sort of mean which then um makes it then it moves me yeah, for me, the comedy, that levity is sort of to a degree functional in yeah. that it will, you know, especially with the short attention spans these days, you know, if we're, if we're consuming something, I hate that word. Um, um, but if we're, if we're watching something or reading something and it's just dark, 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 we can't handle it because there's darkness in our 
live. So you need you need a punchline here or there. Yeah. I think, I think it's functional. I think you need to actually take a breath. Yeah. And so it makes you kind of, whether you laugh out loud or you chuckle, there is a literal moment of levity that will keep you engaged such that you can say, well, it's not real. It's This is... Yeah. And it's really, it's like relief. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the bit, like in the kind of, you get that a, a release of some kind. But what I really like doing is taking really serious music and putting on something quite funny. And that is my absolute, like, <laughs> then I am so happy. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's the thing. If I feel like I can take something that's quite genuinely serious mm-hmm. um, and sincere, like very sincere and not to kind of make light of it but it's just I think that's the Greek tragedy that's when that's when I, I, it becomes kind of epic in that way I think it's like if you if somebody's putting something in a dustbin and you play some like Marla over it or something it suddenly like becomes like so good you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like the range of uh experience and emotion yeah yeah exactly that's why it's epic right it's yeah, like exactly. literally like different neurons firing all across yeah. the brain I love those like tiny human I really really enjoy the when you can find the epicness and just a look you know and somebody mm-hmm. the way somebody looks at um I don't know what, the way somebody might look at that dustbin you know <laughs> yeah sure and on the flip the flip side of what of your of the dustbin to me is is um looney tunes yeah it's like you know someone is falling literally falling off a cliff yeah. <laughs> um yeah and then it's totally yeah that was what was very interesting right writing um the score for emma because autumn really wanted the music to kind of be attached to every single movement every eye flicker every everything um and it was it was really interesting what that did and that made things funnier because mm-hmm. it made things way like a, the movement you know and simple eye movement suddenly was huge because it had a you know orchestra behind it and you know i think stylistically you know like Wes Anderson the way the way the with with Desplat's music the way that kind of the relationship that it has with the action I think is so interesting because um because it does it does make it does kind of you know maybe I really like Wes Anderson's work you know because I think there is a sort of sincerity to it and a seriousness to it but there is this there is this something else, you know, it's not a comedy. Mm -hmm. It is a tragedy always, I think pretty much. Um, But there is something else and that, and maybe it's in the music, but it usually feels quite epic. And you do laugh. Dream project and or collaborations. Do you have so something you're just like it's just tickling you you just want it you just I mean yeah definitely it's kind of dream project I mean I really want to write a ballet that's like the next thing that I really want to do I would love to hear that and see that just 
love to and um so that is that that is something that is high on the list um and an opera <laughs> those are two, two really important things to me but I've been you know I need I've been talking about doing both of those things for so long and actually I feel like next year I just have to do them and um find a way to do them what I mean, stops you what stops you from doing one or the other just very enticing wonderful collaborative opportunities like mm-hmm. writing film scores or you know I really just love it and when a good story comes along with a great director and a good team it's you know I really I just want to do it and so um and so I guess that's what but then I feel like the time it will because I've been talking about the other things for so long for like a few years now really or like plus 10 (laughs) whatever but um the gap will emerge you know or you make it you force it and and it's fine so those things but yeah I mean there are some there are some of course like there are some artists who I love um I feel like if I say them out loud it will never happen the people that I actually would completely dream to work with or does it work the opposite way? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's so funny. That's like, um, that is such an example of my character. Like, just so <laughs> <laughs> people going, maybe if you talk about it, it will be either better, healthier, or someone might hear it and come and <laughs> I, I mean, you know, uh, I would argue, well, and we can always edit them out, but I would argue you say it, you make it happen. It just, it literally is one step closer to manifesting it. Yeah, that's true. That is true. It's so funny. I don't know why I find that so impossibly difficult to do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's so weird. It's like, yeah, I just will never tell anyone with people that I really want to work with. No, no, obviously I'm not. No, 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 fair enough. (laughs) No, no, that's not how I feel at all. It's more like the ridiculousness of, I mean, obviously... I mean, I, now I feel like I can't say them. <laughs> <laughs> I felt... <laughs> my God. Well, let me, to play devil's advocate, how do you know you're not on their list? Moving on. Uh, <laughs> um, so, do you... This is a mean question. I ask it of all composers. I apologize in advance. Okay. It's a thought experiment. Um, I'm not religious. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's just it's a good metaphor you get in front of god in heaven or or you're at the pearly gates however you want it however you want to frame it um you're about to be i wouldn't call the word judge but it could even be purgatory what song do you play That's and you can answer so... this question however you want. It's your thought experiment. I mean, oh my God. Well, I'm sure if I thought about it, there were, well, for some reason, Pergolesi came into my head, but I feel like if I was actually, it would depend where I was. If I was in, Pur- if I was going to Purgatory mm-hmm. and if I was at the Pearly Gates, I think I'd, I think there'd be two different tunes. There'd be two different tracks. What are, 
Well, I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay, gotcha. I, I feel instinctively that it would be like, what would it be? Sometimes, sometimes I can't decide if I like, I'm not religious really. Um, but if I got to the, I can't stop saying pearly gates now, but if I got to the pearly gates, <laughs> I want some kind of, like, I can't decide whether I'd want some, so I think I'm just trying to re like, like try and live it in the, in this moment, whether I'd want something kind of quite like badass and like, yes, well done, mm -hmm. you know, or whether I'd want something that was quite actually quite peaceful and would just be like a calm, Mm -hmm. like which is probably where I'd land I reckon something that would just you know like take me through without any kind of big bells and something that just calm I think and then if I was going downstairs <laughs> I reckon <laughs> that is like it would depend on why I was there I reckon <laughs> Well, don't only you know, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> that's true. If you're going downstairs, you know why you're going downstairs. Yeah, I know, but then it would, so it, but if I'd done something, I wonder if, like, I'm trying to even think of, like, I mean, it's a complicated question. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Do people just have, like, an answer? They just know. Oh, Very it's... rarely. There have been a few who just, it's like, have you thought about this before? They just have the clearest answer of a very specific tune. They just know. But then, yeah. it, but then you see, the thing is, I'm thinking like if, if I went up, if I'm, I'm back at the gate, so I prefer being up there, then yeah. <laughs> I've just gone back up. Yeah. Back up there, but then if I play some like Nick Cave, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that, that does a thing, that does something, you know? Yeah. Or, yeah, or something, or some Kate Bush. No, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> and the yeah I don't know something or maybe something that has meant a lot to me it's hard to know whether it's like mood mm. or whether it's memory mm -hmm. um I wonder if like it's like when people say what's your favorite piece of music it's the most impossible question I find do you have yeah. what would your pieces of music be I would just improvise I would just put, play whatever I'm feeling at the moment. Oh, okay. That's like, so wait, on the radio, you mean? Not on the radio. Like on no, your... I would just, I, I would summons a piano, maybe <laughs> sing a song. Oh. Yeah, I'd play it myself. I would just, you know, I mean, presumably this might be my last chance, depending on where I'm going, right? No, you'd totally be able to do it, I reckon. <laughs> well, if I go down, if I'm going down then i would assume there's no piano because that sounds like hell to me yeah that would be you definitely i don't think you'd be allowed a piano so, so, so i guess i guess it would be my it would be my last piece see i didn't even consider the fact that i could play it on i could play it i just imagined i'd have like an ipod not an ipod you know <laughs> i love that here's some archaic <laughs> in the clouds it would just be <laughs> I never imagined that I could play it myself. Oh no, you can get a harp. You can have a trombone and honor no, your friend. That would be, I mean, that would be the tragic comedy of after all this time, <laughs> <laughs> I make it to the 
pearly gates. <laughs> and but it was your grandmother, right? Who said she? Yeah, she, she. It was her suggestion, and it was a great suggestion because yeah, I got to play in orchestras and got to play in a jazz band. That was a cool. And then I wrote a, a like string of really experimental pieces for the trombone, um, which was fun. But I think the definitely the piano. Yeah. I mean, if that's that's suddenly really simple. Yeah. Like, what would you play yourself? I'd definitely play the piano, and I'd probably play. Um, there is some Rachmaninoff. There's a Rachmaninoff prelude that I really love to play. Um, yeah. Or there's the um, C sharp minor Chopin prelude, which I also really love. I guarantee you play any of these, you're going up. Do you think? Oh yeah, for sure. It'd be so tragic to play it going down. Or badass. Or badass, yeah, exactly. (laughs) On fire, the piano's on fire. The piano would have to be on fire, yeah. (laughs) Um, Don't worry. I I think you've you've been granted entry. Don't worry. You. Okay, let's get my anxiety. Um, last question, and I, I'm sure it's one you get a lot, and I apologize again in advance, but it's it's one that I would love to know how you'd love to respond is just advice for artists, musicians. I think it's just one thing that I've kind of learned, I guess, so far is um, that it's really good to kind of sh- just share like share your experience, share how the day's been, like don't, um, I, yeah, I feel like I didn't, I didn't do a lot of talking when I was kind of in the early days of writing. And I think there was, um, I think that was, it would have been, I think I would have had a, maybe a better time just with mental health and just those things, mm. I think if I'd, um, because it, the the lifestyle is really, as you know, like it's really intense and it can be, it can be an odd feeling as well. If you, if your friends are going down one, you know, more traditional way and you're going down a different path because you know that's your choice and because you have to like that's what's in your heart um that can feel that's like an unusual I've I felt anyway when I first started to feel that sort of happening um yeah I think it's because as soon as you start sharing kind of thoughts about these things you realize that there are so many other people that also um that sort of relate to that so like from that point of view, I think kind of um I think being I think talking is good. Mm-hmm. Um, because also go on. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, I find also that if I'm alone for too long, like studio alone, I start talking to myself, which is mm-hmm. I do it like loads anyway. But I notice it when it gets particularly bad. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And uh yeah, company company is really important but I think musically um 
I think the only thing that really keeps me interested, I suppose, in the work is um, like just experimenting all the time and just keep exploring. And really, I mean that like in the in the I'm not just saying it's not a trite thing to say. It's like really difficult to do, I think. Um, and but I think the the kind of partner thing to that as well which I find really important to me is variety so but that's just because I'm I'm you know there are lots of composers who only want to do one you know medium and that makes that makes a lot of sense to me but um I I find that my growing and my learning and my experimenting comes is fed through doing um a variety of working in a variety of kind of disciplines and and then it stretches me it stretches me to to kind of think in different ways and write the music can grow rather than I, I get a bit frustrated if I'm suddenly writing the same thing over and over and over again in different projects. I get very, I'm, I don't enjoy that. Um, so maybe that's three bits of, I don't know. Yeah, it's very, it's, I, I, and, and I think they're all very practical and I really appreciate, I, I've not heard the first. I've asked a lot of people this question and I've never heard the first. And I think it's a really um insightful and wise piece of advice especially you said daily like you mm. know speak to people about the day yeah um and yeah full disclosure i don't do that <laughs> i don't it's pretty hard to do yeah. sometimes it doesn't it doesn't fit in with the day like you know you just go you wake up and you go you start writing you start playing you know whatever it is and then you I don't know. It's it's hard to crystallize in conversation, right? Because you're, you're as you yeah. said, it's another language that you're yeah. you're working on this in another language in isolation, oftentimes. And then you're saying, you know, someone will ask you, "How's your day?" Yeah, often <laughs> give the worst fucking answer possible. I'm like, fine, you know, or 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 great. Like it's like this one word, so totally inarticulate blob of a response yeah. that's yeah <laughs> you know. yeah um, it's hard to and you're right sometimes sometimes you know it's not even about the detail I don't know what it is but it's like something about if it's um or if like if if you're having a challenging time or something um, you know I would have challenging times but I just wouldn't I didn't I would kind of just learn how to get you know manage it I suppose totally on my own which is also fine but I think it's funny now that people are in a way since like podcasts that you realize that that's a way of people kind of talking you know sharing their things and it's a nice thing to be able to uh go and listen to and and like 10 years ago I just wonder if I don't listen to a lot of podcasts of you know just sort of I don't know sometimes but I don't even like listening to podcasts like a painter talking about their process mm -hmm. I feel like very 
scene. (laughs) (laughs) And so it just, you know, it's like, I think it's just good to talk. I agree. I I couldn't agree. And and the art of conversation is, um, can be undervalued, but as, as you said, in the rise of podcasts, it's, it's being appreciated more and more and more. Yeah. And I think being seen is something that in this current digital social media, everything's come through a filter. Yeah, exactly. You know, and everybody's projecting their what they think is will be received as their best self. Yeah. It's very refreshing to hear artists speak about, you know, be transparent about their vulnerabilities, their process, et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to just being fed this perfect piece of music. Yeah. Perfect screen. Yeah. It's so unattainable. You know, Isabel is just a genius on a woman on a pedestal who made this amazing thing. And I, I could never do that. No, exactly. When you actually, when you start talking about like stress eating packets of crisps, and like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like 4am when you've had like too many coffees and then you start to feel weird. Yeah, it's funny. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It is, it's the best thing hearing the real stuff from people. Um, well, thank you so much. This has been fun and insightful. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to hear what you do, what you do next. Thank you. This has been great. Thank you yeah. so much.